Let's all stand in honor of God's word, and I just want you to hold up your Bible, and if you don't have one, that's all right, grab a pew Bible, let's just hold our Bibles up, and let's just say as a congregation, thank you, Lord, on three. Are you ready? One, two, three, thank you, Lord. Amen. Aren't you thankful for the word of God? And I'm thankful to our church uh, values the word of God in all languages, and we're funding the Bible for the Makonde people. You've uh, funded Bible sticks for the people in Mongolia, and here we are in English. Are you ready? It's no Mongolian today. It's just English, Acts 11, verses 1 through 18. Page 635 in your pew Bible, if you do not have a Bible, and let us join our hearts as I read Acts 11, 1 through 18. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went in to the uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision and an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. And when I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, what every hunter wants to hear, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now, this was done three times. And all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Charles F. Kettering. Some of you may be familiar with that name. Probably most of you have never heard of him, but he was an American engineer. He was an inventor. And he once said, people are very open-minded about new things as long as they're exactly like the old ones. 
In other words, what he was saying is that people don't much like change. As Woodrow Wilson said, if you want to make enemies, try to change something. How true you should have heard the response when we changed the soap in the church bathrooms. I got six emails telling me how much better liquid soap is better than foam soap. Just kidding, but you get the idea. People don't like change. For example, how many of you use the, uh, use the same brand of toothpaste each day? How many use the same brand? Sure. Most people use the same brand of toothpaste day after day, week after week, and maybe even year after year. We all do. And uh, in fact, uh, if somebody switched the toothpaste in your, uh, your uh, bathroom, you would be just a little like, what is going on? I'm a little upset by this. Or if they switched your deodorant brand, whatever the case may be. And yet change is inevitable. Maybe your Facebook status has recently changed, or perhaps you're dealing with the change in your, in your own personal life. You're dealing with change in your family, or maybe you're dealing with change at your job, or, or even in your health, or, or with your finances. Whatever the case may be, change is never easy. We naturally resist the upheaval, the emotions, and the hardships that are all cousins to change. And so perhaps... This helps us to understand just a little bit the initial response of the Jewish believers to the salvation of the Gentiles here in Acts 11. Let's, let me set the scene for you, if you will. Set the stage uh, and kind of give you what's going on here with the salvation of the Gentiles. Notice it in your notes coming up on the screen. What should have been an occasion for celebration became a source of contention in the Jerusalem church. Last Sunday, we ended with the wonderful, amazing, glorious salvation of Cornelius and his household. And just think, a, a household of Gentiles had believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they had received the Holy Spirit of God. It was unexpected, but it was a significant development in God's work to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. In other words, the salvation of these Gentiles, of Cornelius and his household, it's a glorious picture that Luke is giving to us here that the gospel is for all peoples regardless of ethnic identity. But not everyone appreciated the significance of God's work in unexpected ways. Some Jewish believers were rather aggravated by it. Acts 11 here. We begin in verse 1. And it says, Now the apostles and the brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Now you would think that hearing news of someone's salvation would be an occasion for celebration, would it not? I mean, after all, we know from, from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, we know from the story that Jesus told, the parable, that we know that all of heaven was celebrating the salvation of Cornelius and his household. And yet, we see here in Acts 11, not all of Jerusalem was celebrating. 
Instead of celebrating God's work in the lives of these Gentiles, Jewish believers in Jerusalem, church, were contending with Peter over his actions. So what should have been, what seems obvious to us, what should have been an occasion for celebration in the Jerusalem church became a source of contention as a result of God's work in unexpected ways. And the questions become, how then? How, how would Peter respond to this contention and criticism? As an apostle, as the key leader of the Jerusalem church. Let me tell you, Peter's response was key here. And how would this contention impact the mission of the church to let all peoples hear the gospel? For it certainly appears that the advance of the gospel is being met by opposition, not from without, but from within the walls of the church itself, from the very people in the church. What can we learn from this? Even today, how does this impact us? What should we take away? What lessons can we learn from this chapter here in Acts 11? Well, let's see if we can answer some of these questions in our time together this morning. Number one, we see the point of contention. The point of contention. And if I can summarize it this way, the contention was this. Jews fellowshipping with Gentiles is unacceptable. The point of contention is centered really on one issue. Acceptable versus unacceptable in the minds of the Jewish believers. Now, we don't know uh, if, if it was all the Jerusalem church that was included in this. We don't know if it was some of the apostles, all the apostles, all the church or not. Well, we do know there was at least a group, a contingent, some of the Jerusalem church, those in the church, the Jewish believers, they, they had a problem with this. Acts, in Acts 10, we saw that God shows no partiality and accepts all who believe in Jesus Christ for their salvation. And now here in Acts 11, we read that the Gentiles received. In other words, they accepted the Word of God, which Luke uses that phrase as a parallel expression for coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And Peter has now He himself has now come to, quote, accept that God's plan for salvation includes all peoples, even the Gentiles. When he states back in Acts 10, verse 28, but God has shown me that I should call no one common or unclean. But these Jewish believers here in the church of Jerusalem, they were not ready to accept what Peter accepted about God's work of salvation in the Gentiles. In some ways, they were, you could describe them as unbelieving believers. I know that's like an oxymoron, isn't it? And yet, that's kind of what they were here. They believed the gospel themselves. They were believers in Jesus Christ, but they had a hard time believing that Gentiles could be accepted by God in the same way that believing Jews were accepted by God. It was not unheard of now for a Gentile to become a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, God had opened the door for the Gentiles to be part of the community of Israel 
dating all the way back to the Old Testament. So God always had a heart for all the nations. God always made it possible for Gentiles to come in to the community of Israel. But for these Jewish believers here, you know, for them to become followers of Jesus and to do so without becoming a Jew, it was difficult for them to accept. It was difficult for them to comprehend what God was doing in such an unexpected way. They believed it was still necessary to be, quote, circumcised and keep all the Old Testament laws in order to be saved and accepted by God. And so when Peter now returns to Jerusalem, a contingent of Jewish believers, let me tell you, they were waiting for him. And they were not waiting to congratulate him but to confront him with what they saw as a, a breach of protocol, a violation of Jewish laws and traditions. So needless to say, they were not happy with Peter. Their contention quickly turns to criticism. Verse 3, look what it says. Those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them? In other words, here's their beef with Peter. Jewish believers in Jerusalem, church, they criticized Peter for staying and eating with Gentiles. These Jewish believers had heard that the Gentiles had been saved. And somehow they had also heard that Peter had stayed with them. And that he, he had even ate with them. And they were shocked. And they were waiting for Peter, ready to scold him the moment he returned to Jerusalem. In fact, I kind of like how Luke, the author here of the book of Acts, how he portrays Peter. He almost seems to portray Peter as a man who is in hot water, who is being called on the carpet for eating non-kosher food and fellowshipping with Gentiles. And I can just kind of see these uncircumcised men standing at the gates of the city with fire in their eyes, hands on their hips, waiting to criticize Peter when he arrives. You see, in their minds, in their understanding, from their perspective, Peter had a lot of explaining to do. And there was little chance that he could talk his way out of this blunder. Oh, he had gone way too far this time. In fact, I... I enjoy some of the other Bible translations that almost, they really catch the tone of, of their contention and criticism. You find in the New English translation in verses 2 through 3, it says, So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers took issue with him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and shared a meal with them. The New Living Translation says, But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him saying, you entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them. And so while these Jewish believers are shocked by Peter's actions, I have to admit, I'm a little bit shocked by their response. I'm somewhat appalled myself by their response to God's work in the lives of Gentiles. We're shocked by, by their lack of rejoicing over the salvation of these people. When Peter comes to Jerusalem, it's interesting. They don't even ask Peter any questions. Peter, what's going on? What's up? They just start laying into him. 
Instead, they criticized Peter's actions. You entered the home of Gentiles and ate with them. How could you? The indictment is clear. The Jewish believers were more concerned with Peter acting as a proper Jew than with God saving Gentiles from their sins. And so in their understanding, Jews fellowshipping with Gentiles was unacceptable. And so they criticized Peter for breaking the Jewish laws and traditions. Someone once said to avoid criticism, say nothing, do nothing, be nothing. In other words, it would be easier to swim in the sea without getting wet than to go through life without being criticized. So the question for Peter becomes the question for us. And it's not, will you face criticism? But rather, how will you face it? And what we see next is not only evident of God's work in the Gentiles, but God's work in Peter's own life as well. And let me tell you, it is amazing. It is radical. It is life-transforming. Peter graciously responds by offering his critics the, the proof of change, if we can call it that, point number two. And the proof of change that, that Peter's going to begin to describe for them is that God is saving Gentiles in the same way that he is saving Jews. And to that we say, oh, that was pathetic. Let me tell you, to that we say, the Royals just won the World Series. Amen. Oh, yeah, there you go. Let me tell you, this is beautiful. Now, we can probably put our finger on at least one problem here from the outset. These Jewish believers, they heard news without context. And then they rushed to judgment about Peter's actions. I'm sure you've heard it said when it comes to selling real estate, location, 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 right? Well, the same is true when it comes to hearing news. Context, context, context. The Jewish believers heard news about the Gentile salvation, and they heard news about Peter's actions, but get this, what they heard was fragmented. And probably what they heard was flawed. They didn't hear the whole story, and what they did hear was out of context. But Peter, this is interesting, and this is what's amazing about the transformation in Peter's life. He didn't dismiss his critics. He didn't defy them in arrogance. In other words, he didn't pull out his apostle card and wave it in front of them and say, how dare you question me and my actions? I am the apostle Peter. Jesus has given me the keys to the kingdom. Oh, no. Instead, Peter treated them graciously, pointing them to God's work instead of his own actions. Instead of being offended by their criticism, Peter actually identifies with his critics. After all, he once held the same view, did he not? 
It wasn't that long ago. And it took a mighty work of God to change his own thinking in relation to the Gentiles. God had to persuade Peter that Gentiles were also acceptable to him through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Peter came to appreciate that it wasn't that long ago that he too held some wrong assumptions, some wrong perspectives, some wrong understanding of God's plan of salvation for the Gentiles. And so, according to verse 4, Peter took time. He took time to explain God's work in unexpected ways from beginning to ending. He basically retells his experience of God's work. In other words, he tells them, let me share with you what God did. And by the way, it's unbelievable. In fact, I myself had a hard time understanding what God was doing. I resisted it at first. God had to whack me up the side of the head. And he did some amazing things to change my thinking. Beginning in verse 5 and continuing to verse 16, Peter retells the whole story of his going to Caesarea and sharing the gospel with Cornelius and his household. And it's basically the same script we read in Acts 10. Though Peter retells it with a little more flair, and he retells it with a slightly different order of events. He tells it from his perspective. And at each point, though, Peter emphasizes and this is key to his retelling the experience, he emphasizes that it was God who was working in unexpected ways. Let me take you through this briefly, of Peter's explanation of God's work. First of all, we see that God confronted Peter's flawed perspective in a vision. It was an unexpected vision from God that started it all. Peter begins in Acts 11, notice in verse 5, read it again with me, or follow along, as I read it, Peter states, this is his own testimony, he says, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me when I observed it intently and considered. I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. Now as we learned two weeks ago when we looked at this in Acts 10, the vision here that Peter just described for us, it's not really about animals. The vision is not even really about food. The vision is really a lesson about people. As the clean and unclean animals were a symbol of clean and unclean, or circumcised and uncircumcised people, representing Jews and Gentiles. As one commentator put it, the sheet that came down is the church, which will contain all races and classes without any distinction at all. In other words, the lesson that God was giving to Peter and by application, he's giving to us even today, is that salvation is what? It's for all peoples, regardless of ethnic identity. The second point that Peter relayed to this Jewish contingent of believers who were a little upset with him was that God commanded Peter to go to Cornelius' house. 
Peter stresses in verse 11, at that very moment, it's like immediately as, as the vision disappeared, at that moment then, there three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. And then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. In other words, Peter's emphasizing that it was the Holy Spirit that commanded him to go to the house of Cornelius, and that Peter was simply doing what? He's simply obeying the Spirit of God. And number three, God then prepared Cornelius to hear the gospel. Peter shares how God was also working in an unexpected way in Cornelius' life by preparing him to hear the gospel. We find this in verse 13 and 14. And he told us, that is Cornelius, told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. This was more than enough proof for Peter, that God is working and that his salvation is for all peoples. And so what does Peter do? Peter shares the good news of Jesus Christ by which Cornelius and his household will be saved. And then Peter comes to his fourth point here. Hey, listen, God poured out the Holy Spirit on them. Peter ends his story with the ultimate proof of change now in verses 15 and 16 when he says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. What's, what's Peter referring to there? At the beginning. Peter's taken them all the way back to Acts chapter 2. What is known as the Pentecost. Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit fell on the Jews and the, the, the Jewish believers and the disciples in the church of Jerusalem. And Peter basically says, is telling them, hey, what happened to us in Pentecost is now happened to these guys, Cornelius and his household. And he says, then I remembered. I remember the word of the Lord. How Jesus said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Spirit. In other words, Peter emphasizes that what the Gentile believers and Jewish believers hold in common is God's gift of the Holy Spirit. This is what makes them clean. This is what makes them acceptable before God. And this is what makes them one in the community of God's people. And folks, this is why... Jewish believers and Gentile believers can and should eat together at the same table in fellowship. It's why all of us now here this morning, and do we not all come from different backgrounds? Oh man, it's, we all have different stories. We have different backgrounds, different ethnicity, different socioeconomics. You name it. And yet, it's why we can come together as one family. Because as believers in Christ, we are saved by the same salvation and we have the same Spirit of God that dwells within us. And every time we participate in communion like we did last Sunday is a reminder of that very truth. That regardless of our differences and preferences, and nationality and ethnicities, we are one people in the family of God. 
And it is a beautiful thing. It's a glorious thing because that is what we will see when we get to heaven. That is what we will be a part of. God loves a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational church. He loves it. Peter's whole point in retelling his story was to give his critics the same thing that he needed when it came to changing his prejudicial thinking. That is, God is working in unexpected ways. And the proof of that change is God is saving Gentiles in the same way that He is saving Jews. And I love, oh, how I love how Peter ends. He asks a rhetorical question in verse 17. Look at it. If therefore God gave them the same gift, as He gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? In other words, Peter is asking his critics, and he's asking us even today, will you oppose God's work? Or will you accept God's work? What a great question from a guy who normally got in the way. Peter's a guy who was always getting in the way of Jesus Christ and in the work of God. Do you remember what Peter said when Jesus Christ tried to wash his feet? Peter said in the Gospels, Oh, Lord, you're not washing my feet. No way. Peter, trying to get in Jesus' way there. What did Peter say when Jesus said, I'm going to the cross to die? Peter bluntly states, Lord, you're not going to die. No way. I won't let you. Again, Peter trying to get in Jesus' way. And so for Peter to say, for Peter to admit, hey, who am I to stand in God's way? Because it wasn't that long ago he thought he was someone who could stand in God's way. This is an amazing admission of humility on the heels of a life-changing encounter with God. Now let's just stop here for a moment. Let's kind of evaluate this. Let's put ourselves in the story a little bit. Let's be honest here with one another. Well, maybe not one another, but at least with God. Let's be honest. There are times when our own actions provide bullets for our critics' guns. Right? Been there, done that way too many times that I care to admit. And so like Peter, too often we do things that warrant the criticism we receive. But if we will simply do what Jesus tells us to do in God's Word, when the critics point their fingers at us, we can then point our fingers to Jesus and say with Peter, listen, this is God working in unexpected ways. Because Peter had obeyed God. He could point his critics to the Lord. And he could say, listen, if you want to take issue with me, that's fine. Take it up, though, with God himself, too. Listen, your best defense against your critics is always, always, always a life of obedience to the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean we obey perfectly, do we? None of us here obey perfectly. In fact, we can identify with Peter a whole lot who messed up a whole lot. But when we seek to please the Lord and obey His Word, 
Listen, that is one of the best defenses against criticism that we have. How did, how did Peter's critics respond to the retelling of God working in unexpected ways? Well, look at this in your notes. Their response, the Jewish believers' response. They stopped objecting and started glorifying God for granting salvation to all peoples. Now, this is beautiful. Look what it says in verse 18. When they heard these things... In other words, when they heard what Peter just shared, it says they became silent. Moms, don't you wish you could just tell a story and your kids would become silent? They would stop arguing with you, stop criticizing whatever's going on in the house. Wouldn't that be a glorious thing? That is, they quieted down and they stopped contending with Peter. No longer were they fussing about Peter's actions. No longer were they criticizing him for eating with Gentiles. Why? Their criticism, get this, had been trumped by the magnitude and the glory of God's work through Peter in the house of Cornelius. Now, let me also let you in, going forward in the book of Acts a little bit, the point of contention here, which was, remember, Jews having fellowship with Gentiles would not completely go away after this incident here in Acts 11. It would surface again later on in Acts 15. In fact, they had to have a whole council about it. We'll get to that in our next series. But by the end of Peter's explanation here in Acts 11, at least they were no longer criticizing him for eating with Gentiles. Peter, he put the focus on God's work in the Gentiles, and in doing so, his critics, they stopped objecting and started glorifying God. And notice what they glorified God for. This is beautiful too. In the rest of verse 18 it says, When they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. In other words, forgiveness of sins to eternal life. These Jewish believers started with criticism of Peter. And now they ended with praise to God. They changed from grumbling about Peter's actions to glorifying God for his work. They rejoiced over the very thing they had just rejected. God is saving Gentiles in the same way he is saving Jews through faith in Jesus Christ. There is now no longer any distinction between people of different nations. All peoples receive God's salvation and forgiveness of sins in the same way. How? By repenting of our sins and believing in Jesus Christ. Praise God. Amen? Praise God. His salvation is for me. His salvation is for you. His salvation is for all peoples of the world, regardless of ethnic identity. And so, let us do what? Let them hear. Let us share the gospel with all peoples. 
In fact, next Sunday, that's what we're going to see with some believers who were scattered because of the persecution over Stephen and because of Saul. And these believers were scattered up to Antioch. And when they were scattered, they didn't allow persecution to muzzle their mouths over the gospel. It was even in persecution that they shared the gospel. They proclaimed the gospel to all peoples. Why? Because salvation, the gospel, it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew and the Gentile. That's us! So what do we learn from all this? What lessons should we go home with this morning? What lessons should we apply? Well, let me leave you with three. Number one, when hearing the unexpected about someone... Don't criticize, but seek to understand. The Jewish believers here in Jerusalem, they heard two unexpected things that were closely related. They heard about the Jewish, they heard about the Gentile salvation, and they heard about Peter eating with them. But remember, what they heard was fragmented. It wasn't the whole story. And so what they heard was out of context. And yet, what's interesting is that when Peter returned to Jerusalem, they didn't ask Peter any questions about what took place in Cornelius' home. They themselves did not seek to understand what they heard. Instead, they rushed to judgment and criticized Peter based on fragmented information. And folks, let's be honest, that happens way too much today. That happens way too much with unbelievers, but it happens way too much even with believers. In an age of social media, Man, it is so easy to hear news, to read news, to read stuff about people. And the first lesson when you hear the unexpected, whether that unexpected is unsavory or you don't agree with it or you have questions about whatever, is don't rush to criticize, but first seek to understand. I learned long ago in marriage counseling with couples, that there is always, there is always, there is always three sides to a story. There's his side, his story, there's her story, and then there's the real story. And so chances are, when you hear the unexpected about someone, you don't have the whole story. So give the benefit of the doubt rather than give your criticism. Number two. I think a second lesson we can walk away with this morning is when criticized, because it's going to happen, and when criticized for following Jesus, don't dismiss your critics, but be gracious to them. Now, this is probably the biggest change in Peter's own life. He was gracious to his critics when not too long ago, let me tell you, Peter would have blasted his critics. Think about it. These Jewish believers have just called Peter on the carpet. 
They called him on the carpet about something that they are dead wrong about. And Peter knows it. Right? They, are, they have fragmented information. They're calling him on the carpet over an issue that they're wrong about. And Peter knows that they're wrong. Remember, he, Peter, he's seen the vision of God. Peter, he has seen the work of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter knows the changes God is initiating with the salvation of the Gentiles. But what's amazing here is Peter restrained his mouth. He muzzled his mouth and he showed grace to his critics. Listen, Peter, he could have easily dismissed them. He could have easily defied them. He could have easily even rebuked them as an apostle and the key leader in the Jerusalem church. But instead, he understood their struggle and he took time to identify with them and to explain God's work in unexpected ways. Proverbs tells us, oh, listen to what Proverbs says. A book of wisdom. Proverbs says in 10.19, He who restrains his lips is wise. Verse, chapter 15, verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Chapter 15, verse 18, the slow to anger calms a dispute. And so how, how you respond to people who criticize you when they are wrong and you are right, let me tell you, it says a lot. It says an awful lot about your own maturity in Jesus Christ. By the way, you want to know what else is interesting here? We, we don't read of any record. Luke does not record it for us, so I don't know if it happened or not, but at least we know it's not recorded. There's no record of an apology to Peter by his critics. Now, should they have apologized? Absolutely. And yet there's no record of it. They didn't apologize to Peter, but in the end, what did they do? They praised God. They glorified God for granting salvation to the Gentiles. And so when you are criticized, here's a question we got to ask ourselves. Is it more important that you be vindicated and validated by your critics, or is it enough for you that your critics say nothing more about you and simply praise God for what He is doing and has done? You see, oftentimes, what we really want, what's in our heart, what our own issue is, what we really want is to watch our critics eat crow and take back what they said to us. We're not satisfied until they make it right. But folks, there are times when we have to trust God that He will make it right. And so like Peter, the desire of our heart should not be to vindicate our name, but for people to glorify God's name. Which brings us to lesson three. When God works in unexpected ways, listen, don't stand in God's way, but accept it and praise God. There's a book on creative thinking. And I love the title of the book. A Whack on the Side of the Head. Is that not a great title of a book? A Whack on the Side of the Head. 
We all get into mental ruts, and we often need a whack on the side of the head to help us to think outside the box. And in the same way, listen, Peter himself needed a whack on the side of the head when it came to his thinking in regards to the salvation of the Gentiles. And so God used a vision as a whack on the side of his head to help him change his thinking and accept God's work in unexpected ways. And now God was using Peter to help the Jerusalem church to change their thinking and accept God's work of salvation in the Gentiles. As we're going to see next Sunday, God was expanding the geography of His church through the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that meant God was working in unexpected ways. No longer would Jerusalem be the center of attention. For over a thousand years, Jerusalem has been the focal point of the church. In fact, get this, Jerusalem was the place people would travel to. In our day and age, it would be like, man, we, we're going to schedule vacations for one purpose and one purpose only, and that's to travel to Jerusalem. We will save everything to travel to Jerusalem to see Zion. People wanted to lived there after, when they got up, when they knew they were going to die. So they could die in the city of Jerusalem and be buried in the city of Jerusalem. But God was working in unexpected ways. And very soon, Antioch would have more significance than Jerusalem. Antioch would be the place from where the gospel is spread to the ends of the earth to all peoples. And so the Jerusalem church is faced with a question. Do we stand in God's way? Do we stand in God's way and try to preserve our religious traditions or do we accept God's work and praise Him for granting salvation to all peoples? We're often faced with the same question, are we not? Oh, you better believe we are. We're faced with the same question when God works in unexpected ways in our church, and even in our lives. May, may we embrace God's work when it comes to reaching all peoples. And may God use us in unexpected ways to let them hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may we not stand in God's way. May we say, God, use me to be part of your plan. However unexpected that plan may be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Oh, how we thank you for saving Cornelius and his household. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you that your salvation is for Jews and Gentiles alike through faith in Jesus Christ. We praise you for working in unexpected ways to fulfill your plan of salvation from all the nations in the world. And Father, may we not stand in your way of reaching people, but instead may you use us. And may we give ourselves for your use to let people hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And Father, give us the grace 
Oh, how we need your grace to respond with grace to our critics as Peter did. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the praise team sings, will you respond? Where you're seated, will you respond to God? Whatever He's leading and guiding in your heart, take it to Him in prayer. Pray for somebody who needs to hear. Ask God to use you in whatever unexpected way to share the gospel with a lost person, lost friend.